skies call. They seduce us, pulling us irresistibly upwards, reminding us to fly our own line, on our wings, and in life. We are the seekers, adventurers, being one with the air, feeling everything and nothing at once. That's the magic we chase. Follow the call. Find your pure wild flight with NZ Aerosports. Ready, set, go. Back in the can for another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void with the magic of the internet. Please tell me, who are you and what do you do? I'm Mike McGowan and my passion is uh, skydiving photography. Oh, Mike McGowan. Dude, your name has been a staple in my skydiving mentality, especially when it comes to video, literally since the beginning. I started jumping in 96, and you were already, like, at the top of the hill back then. I mean, you've been you've been going strong, man. You are the cameraman. Well, thank you, but there's a couple others. Norm and Tommy are certainly up there, too. It's kind but, of all uh, the same uh, same generation, though, right? I mean, the same uh, yeah. work ethic, same mentality. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They uh, we set the bar for each other, trying to make each other do a little better in between us. You know, sure. a lot of people thought that we were in competition with each other, and the farthest thing from the truth. Norm and Tom are, are real good friends of mine, and uh, which is we work hard just- to help each other. And that's the way it should be, right? I mean, um, one of the things that we always talk about on the podcast is how amazing the community is and competitions Mm -hmm. for the competitions. The rest of it's just time to turn, you know, share. Brother and sister stuff. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, man. Yeah, that's one of the things. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. One of the things about this sport is the community. You know, if you just uh, got a level head and you're, you're part of the group, you won't be uh set aside because everybody counts or no one counts yes i completely agree and that's that's something that keeps a lot of jumpers in the sport much longer than they would if it was just about jumping out of an airplane absolutely yeah so i'm I'm gonna jump you all the way back and i want to find out how did you get started not necessarily just in skydiving but in anything extreme i mean was this something that was and I, i almost hate to use the word extreme when it comes to skydiving but it is considered an extreme sport but was this the the kind of thing that you were up to as a kid or or how did you get into it i was always interested in jumping out of an airplane even when i was a little kid you know it was the closest thing to flying i could come to you know and then parachuting was daring and it was adventurous and uh, back then, it took a little cojones, too, to want to jump because the equipment and the training just wasn't uh, what it is today. Sure. You know, the rig I had was a Chessmont Reserve and a backpack. And I was like, when I was a kid, I was maybe a buck 20, buck 30. Oh, my goodness. And the rig probably weighed 45 pounds. <laughs> so who was flying who, right? Right. <laughs> now, when, when was this? When did you make your first jump? 1964. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the, uh, the, my, one of my favorite skydiving t-shirts. I remember when sex was safe and skydiving was dangerous. Yeah, that was true. <laughs> that was absolutely true. So, I mean, is it, so back then it was a, a lot of military surplus gear and stuff, right? 
Absolutely. That's my first rig was a, a military surplus that we cut some holes in so I get forward drive. <laughs> I mean, you, you kind of had to be uh, a little bit off the, off the reservation, didn't you? A little bit nuts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a, a total different uh, mentality back then because we were all kind of crazy. And each time we literally cheated death. Right. And, uh, so there was a camaraderie there that was even stronger than it is today. I can remember traveling. And if I could find a skydiver, I had a place to stay. No questions oh, yeah. asked. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's absolutely amazing. Now, where'd you make your first jump? Lakehurst, New Jersey. All right. All like, right. Now Navy jump. It was it so it was uh it was a civilian as a kid? No, it was a military jump. I was in parachute rigger school. Oh wow. I was 17 years old. And uh we had to make a jump with a parachute we packed before we could graduate from school. <laughs> Well, it was a free fall out of a C-47. Your first jump was a free fall out of a C-27? C-47. Oh, C-4. Oh, Jesus. All right. Yeah. I mean, and then that that in itself, you're, you're learning to become a parachute rigger, and your first jump is on your own pack job. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they, were, they weren't packed with sleeves or, or anything like that. It was just open, packed in a, a container. And how it came out is how it came out. <laughs> I mean, wow. Well, clearly it worked because you're still here and you've been going strong for a long time. But was it something that you enjoyed or was it a thank God I survived that? I don't want to do it again. Probably a little not. I wouldn't want to do it again. But thank God I survived. It was definitely in there. <laughs> but I enjoyed it. I loved it. From the, from the second I put a parachute on, I knew what my calling was, oh, wow. you know. And then when I made that jump, there was no doubt in my mind. I was headed in that direction and nothing was going to stop me. I mean, it's, I can definitely see how you'd land and have the stoke from something like that. But I mean, it's coming from a different generation where I don't want to say it was all figured out, but certainly uh, a lot of the, the rough spots had been ironed out by the time I started jumping. You guys were pioneering this stuff. I mean, there had to be times when you start, you're getting ready to go out and jump and you're not so sure it's going to work the way you want. Absolutely. Absolutely. But we had a lot of faith in our reserve, mm. you know, nope. and the reserve didn't have a pilot shoot on it. Actually, what would happen is if we had a malfunction, we didn't cut away. We pull the reserve ripcord handle with our hand over it so it wouldn't all come out. And then we dig our hands into the lines and throw it down and into the spin, then spread the lines so it would inflate on the way up to the main. Oh, you're kidding me. So it wasn't, there's no pilot sheet or anything. You're literally just, the only thing the ripcord's doing is opening the pack? That's exactly right. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. And this was this was all military stuff that you were doing in the beginning. But when did you start civilian jumping? Well, I got out of school at Lakers, got stationed in Southern California. And the first oh. thing I did was find a drop zone. <laughs> and I went out to a place called Lakeside, California, which is in near San Diego. And I uh, signed up for the first jump course. And they says, well, we're going to teach you how to do it in five static lines. I says, why a static line? Because I've already done a free fall. And he says, yeah, but we're going to teach you how to be stable. And I scratched my head and I says, what do you mean stable? Hey. You know, and then they taught me about stability and, and uh, that. And nobody really knew a lot about stability back then. 
because we were just finding that out. Sure. And we knew that if the arch was the key and being symmetrical with your hands and legs, but that didn't always work. (laughs) Right. Well, especially now with the gear, if you're a buck 20 and your rig's 45 pounds and part of it's strapped to your chest, that is not exactly the most aerodynamic package you can come in. No, no. Despite your body position, it would carry you in places you didn't want to go. (laughs) It's like a side spin on a tandem, but without the extra passenger. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) In fact, I had a hard time getting off 10 second delays because as soon as I would do my 10 seconds, I would go in the pool and I'd bring both hands in and my legs would go wonkies and I'd go on my back and a pilot chute would come out between my legs. And they didn't want they didn't want to put me out anymore because they thought this guy's going to kid's going to kill himself, you know? And I'd have to go to the bar with the guys that night, get them half drunk. And here I'm 18 now and I'm drinking shots with these guys trying to uh, be up with them and get them drunk. So then they finally say, we'll take this kid. We'll teach him how to jump. And so the next day they take me out and and put me out again. Eventually I I got it, but uh, yeah. Afterwards. I mean, yeah, I would imagine, especially if you're trying to get a bunch of salty dogs to get you to keep going when they don't want you to do it when they're sober. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, now, so this is the time when um, passing a baton in free fall was like a big damn deal, right? It was. I mean, you've got to sit in where you are now, looking back at the progress that Scott Ebbing has made from being excited that you saw your buddy in free fall, let alone actually touched him and passed him something to what we're doing now, you got to just be constantly shaking your head with pride, quite frankly, because you were part of all of this through the whole way. I'm in awe of, of what we've learned. If I compare it to where we started, hmm. uh, I'm in awe of it and in huge respect, huge respect for the people that are, are cutting the, the pattern now. Sure. You know, because it's going places that, quite frankly, when I was a kid, I never believed, dreamed it would go. It really you know, is. Roger Nelson said it. If you can put it in your mind, you can do it in skydiving. And uh, he's right. Yeah. You know, if you if you can think it up and see it in your mind happening, then you can go up in the air and do it and yeah. make it happen. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, the stuff that's happening now is stuff that I wasn't even really daydreaming about. And and I started jumping substantially after you did. And I'm constantly floored by how easy the next skydiving generation seems to make it look and in awe. Yeah, yeah, absolute awe. There's a lot of great people out there right now doing a lot of great things. Oh, yeah. Well, and one of the cool things about the sport, too, that I think is different than a lot of other sports is the previous generation, so to speak, isn't angry or bitter that somebody's doing something more than them. They have huge pride in that fact. Absolutely. And in fact, we're trying to do it ourselves. I use free flying a lot to help me with my photography. because I like the film from underneath and sit flying was a way to do it. Sure. You know, so, um, you take a little, a guy is crazy if he doesn't see something and take a little bit of it and implement it into his style. He's Indeed. just not going to get anywhere, you know, cause they're learning cool stuff. Sure. And well, just because I come from back to the baton days didn't mean I couldn't try to do this stuff now because, you know, I got very competent railroad work. 
Sure. Well, and also by the time you've reached the maturity level that you have in the sport, you already know how not to beat yourself up and, and how to try and finesse things where of, of course the, the younger kids are kind of, you know, trying to force their way through it all, but you have to learn a little bit of finesse as you get older. Cause this shit doesn't get easier. <laughs> no. Well, the thing, the, the finesse, I did kind of beat myself up at my pitchers. It was only the last six or seven years of my career that I could look at my pitchers and see the good. Every really? time I looked at my pitchers, I would see something that I needed to do better and I'd beat myself up over it. And then I go better that. Sure. That was good and bad, Ricky, because I, uh, it was bad in that I never felt any real, the absolute joy of it. Sure. But it was good that it kept me sharp and improving and stepping up that ladder and in improving my images. Sure. So, well, and I mean, you're always going to be your hardest critic, right? Absolutely. I mean, the the name Mike McGowan was a staple in Parachutist Magazine. Every time I'd get an uh, issue, it was another centerfold or another um, end of the magazine or another cover shot. I mean, it was you and, and Norman and all these guys, these staples of photography um, that were shooting this incredible stuff. And I remember one of the first times I saw an image of you and one of the camera rigs you were jumping, and I was floored because... <laughs> Holy shit, man, you got to have a, a titanium neck to be able to jump some of the stuff that you jump. Scotty Carbone used to say, Mike's got neck like bull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And, you know, it, it isn't heavy in free fall. The only time it's heavy is one opening shock and under canopy. But yeah. in free fall, you don't notice it. You know, it's not heavy. But there was a lot of opening shocks. I wish I had less on my helmet. Yeah, man, I was going to ask, I mean, especially the stuff that you were jumping and uh, progressing through, of course, all the old high eight cameras and the massive lenses and stuff to the little things and then going back to the big cameras, because I see you've got still the massive camera uh, and the massive video and a GoPro and all of this stuff. How, how have you uh, held up in regard to injuries and stuff like that in regard to your neck? Well, my neck is okay. It's my back that's giving me real grief. Oof. You know, somewhere along the line, I broke it. I don't know when, but <laughs> going by the, the MRIs, uh, it, it's been broken. And it, then it's, it's growing arthritis all around it. And, and, sure. and that gives me grief. But it's a small price to pay for the career I enjoyed. Yeah, for sure. Now, what, what drew you to shooting video and photography in the first place? Photography was always an interest of mine. A big interest. And uh, my heroes from the first day I, I, I got a parachutist magazine was the photographers. Because mm. I, I knew that they had to do every bit what the people that were photographing did as far as flying their body. And they still brought the picture back, which gave us that skydive. And it would be, you know, last so long that way. Absolutely. And it was able to be shared in the magazines. And uh, so... Photography was always an interest of mine, but I also knew instinctively that I needed to be able to fly before I could do photography the way I wanted. Sure. And I, I don't know how I knew that. And I made a thousand jumps before I put a camera on. Really? Yeah. Because I wanted to really be comfortable in free fall. And, and if I could, if you see something happening and then you go for it, you're too late. Sure. You've got to be comfortable enough in what you're doing in your environment that you anticipate it and you're there when it happens. 
And you have to be able to really fly your body very well to do that. Because if any of your attention is on flying your body, it's not on the, the main thing. And that's your, your subject matter yeah. and, and what's going to happen and what isn't going to happen. I always filmed mostly documentary style, uh, not movie style stuff. So when we opened the door, all bets were off. We had no idea what was going to happen. <laughs> and so you had to really be uh, in sharp to get that that image that, that, that came about. Sure. So knowing that you were going to put that much into learning how to fly before you shot video, I'd imagine by the time you finally put that camera helmet on your head, you knew a whole lot more than most camera flyers do going into it. Because like me, a buddy of mine just said, hey, put this on your head and come try and film us. And that's mm -hmm. how I, you know, that's how I started way too early. I should have never had a camera on my head. And especially nowadays, jumpers are progressing so quickly that they're shooting video long before they figured a lot of stuff out. Um, but you yeah. must have had a really good grip on things by then. So when you started shooting video, was it right out the gate, having a blast doing all kinds of different stuff? I had an edge. There's no question about it, because, uh, again, it was effortlessly. I was able to get to where I needed to be to take the picture. Mm. And uh, I was very interested in photography and uh, studied it. Oh, my God, I studied it. Never mm. went to school for it, but I studied pictures. And then I'd, I'd take a look at it and see, now, what did I do right that got that shot? What did I do wrong that kept me from getting the perfect shot? You know, that perfect shot, we're always going for it. You know, but in in 35 years of photography, I don't think I've ever got the perfect shot. <laughs> I said by a true artist, though, that, that's exactly what you're going to hear from someone who knew in their mind what they wanted. And then they see the finished product and it's just not quite there. But everybody that's else, right. everybody else is floored. I mean, the stuff that I've seen from all these years that you've shot to me, they seem absolutely flawless. Well, that's that's where it's supposed to be, you know. Sure. In fact, in in parachutists, I had fifty four covers, I think, uh, um, parachutists, which I think is some kind of record. And every cover, I was happy to get the cover. Oh my gosh, I was ecstatic. But every cover, I look at it and say, God, if I would have just done this or done that. It would be so much better for my my friends to see. Sure, sure. Now, when you started shooting, obviously, uh, this is long before the digital age and its film. So how would you be able to know what you were going for on one particular jump and then be able to analyze that roll of film that you had to either, you know, take to the store or send off to get developed? That's a big gap in between the time that you've done these jumps and the time that you see the photos. So were you taking notes or it was just that well ingrained in you? What a great observation. That was what I did was for a long time when I logged my jumps, I would log in there what film I used, the lighting conditions, and, and the shutter, you know, the shutter speed and that stuff I shot. Sure. And then sure. yeah, I and I've always found a, a photo lab really close to me. Mm. So I would get there and I wouldn't like if I was shooting negative, I wouldn't have them printed. I would just study the negatives so I could see that. But mostly I like to shoot slides. You mm. know, they, they always made a better image. Sure. And you, you study your slides and, and Monday morning I would be at the Photoshop and, and getting my slides done in an hour, paying me premium for it. And I don't <laughs> yeah. know why I got the money because I wasn't making no money at it then. <laughs> but uh, then I would look and study the slides and I'd do just like you said. I'd analyze it, reference it to my logbook and see what it was and I'd make my decisions from there. 
Wow. Which, I mean, you know, and with digital today, you got instant gratification. You can look at it. And not only do you know, here's the thing about digital that really makes it supreme. When I shot with film, by the time I got to look at my slides, even though it was the next day, I didn't know, Ricky, what I was thinking when I made that decision. Sure. Now, when I get digital images, I can get down land and I can look at the image and I know not only what I liked and didn't like about the shot, but I know what I was thinking that made that decision to get that shot that way. How amazing And I could adjust my thinking, you know, and and so... to be able to do that, to be able to almost instantly edit in your mind what you've just shot, because you're talking about, you know, the two minutes since the time you hit the shutter release for the last time. And now on your, you're on the ground looking yeah. at that image and to be able to still be in that headspace. How cool is that? Oh, it's great. My photo- photography went up exponentially. Sure. When digital came along, man, you know, my man. ability to, to grow and, and improve my image. It grew exponentially, and uh, that really helped. I mean, I I don't see that as a crutch. I see that as a tool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, was it always uh, still photography was your passion, or um, was it a mix between uh, video and still? First, it was still photography. But very shortly afterwards, I decided to get a video camera, because if you had a video camera, even though you had a a chest-mounted recorder, Right, And it was a real pain to film with wires going up through your, your jumpsuit up to the camera on your helmet. It got you free jumps because people really wanted to see their video. Sure. And uh, so I thought this is the way to get in the air is, is shoot video. So and even shooting, I was going to say, even then when you're strapping basically a VCR to your chest to go out and shoot these videos, that's how you got started shooting video. Oh, absolutely. It was a tube camera and the the camera had a tube in it instead of a CMOS. And if you pointed at the sun too long, it burned a hole in the sensor. (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, there was a lot of things that made it uh, challenging. Sure. But it was all the better for us because my experience is people who get to a certain level, let's say, they don't let challenges get in their way one bit. As a matter of fact, sometimes they rub their hands together and say, mm, I'm going after that one. Sure. You know? Well, that seems to be with all the people that uh, that I've looked up to, especially in skydiving, whether it be shooting video or, or whatever discipline that they're in, uh, the people that get butted up against a challenge are the ones that relish that challenge because they know they're going to have to push themselves harder. Um, just talking to uh, Cornelia Mihai, one of the major swoop competitors these days, uh, she said she goes to competitions simply to be pushed beyond what she already knows she's capable of, and she can't get that without that challenge. So it had to be the same. Yeah, if you live in your comfort zone, you're never going to improve. Sure. You know, you've always got to be just a little out of your comfort zone so you can keep growing and, and keep moving forward with your photography sure so yeah you you can't live in your comfort zone no you'll you'll stay right there and everything will go right by it yeah no doubt now when you started working in the sport how did that transition come about was it just literally by you had the equipment and you started shooting videos and it worked its way into a job or did you kind of carve your own space out carve my own space out at first i was rigging i worked at mackle fish parachute company and I, i managed their parachute loft 
they went out of business. So I started my own parachute lofts and, and was working there and making a living. And I was doing video and stills on the weekend. Okay. And then George Galloway called me from Dunlap, Tennessee, and asked me if I wanted to come and be his plant manager. And he offered me a, a wonderful package. So I went there. And I was working there. And that's where I had the money to, to really get some good photography equipment. Nice. And I find myself more and more interested in the photography and less and less interest in the rigging. And rigging was one of my passions, too. Mm. So finally, I told George, I said, George, I'm moving to Florida. I've got to give this a try. And there was not really anybody making a living at that time. And as you said, I had to carve my own way into it. Mm. Like there was no such thing as a tandem video when I started out. And I invented the tandem video and made it look like a documentary. Sure. You know, and that way it was a marketable product and you could sell it. You know, the tandem videos that they're shooting today still very much mirror what you designed. They do. And I'm very proud of that. Yeah. As long as you keep, as long as you keep the the subject matter, the tandem passenger as the star of your show and you conduct yourself accordingly, you'll, you'll really do all right. We actually talked about that before uh, the podcast, and I had told you a a brief story about uh, my time at Cross Keys, where at one point uh, the tandem student simply worked out to be a prop for the camera guy and the tandem instructor to have fun with. Uh, And that I have always looked back and and regretted some of those jumps because they weren't my jump. They were that tandem student's jump, but we didn't act that way. Uh, But you came up with a very set way of things you know, in, in a way to handle shooting a tandem video and dealing with the students that is still the hallmark today. What was it that drove you to come up with that? I mean, how did you sit down and go, no, this is the way it's got to be? Well, one thing, I went to a lot of movies and I learned a lot of things in the shooting techniques, you know. One is three to five seconds is your attention span. So you try not to keep your, your except for the free fall, of course, mm. your shots any longer than that. You know, sometimes if you get a really good interview, you can stay with it a little longer because, again, this video is for them. And if they're really going on about something, that's what you want to record. But it was trial and error. I uh, um, would try one way and and see how that worked and and looked at it objectively as a product, see what was lacking, see what needed to be enhanced. And then I would I'd do it that way. But it was pretty simple. You come up with a shot list. And I got, still got a shot list for my crew now. And uh, they go by the shot list. And I have a wonderful crew. I mean, they're into it. They really want to make that tandem passenger the star. Sure. Every once in a while, I get a guy I have to pull the reins in on. They want to do a little head down stuff. And they want to do a little crazy stuff. And, um, again, that takes attention away from the tandem passenger and you failed as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Absolutely. Well, and I completely agree with you. Uh, that tandem is, that's their skydive. And we're just the people that are facilitating that. And it needs to be their skydive. We get to go fun jump and do what we want to do. And then you can get mm-hmm. squirrely and have as much fun as you want. But Absolutely. And again, it was a hard lesson to learn looking back at the ones that I didn't do justice to. You know, I still look back and shake my head and go, shit, I was not the ambassador that I should have been for the sport. But you learned. Yeah. And that's what counts. You learn. Absolutely. So you start out shooting video in Florida and clearly it started working (laughs) because 
um were you running a concession did you start running a concession there or did you end up no i didn't run a concession i I did video for um the drop zone okay and uh sometimes they'd have me go up and do a tandem video and then we'd kind of put it to a, a documentary style video and uh that worked pretty good but i'll tell you people like bill booth and uh Ted Strong yep. gave me work on test jumps, and those got squirrely filming test jumps. They had to have. The shit you must have seen on some of these test jumps. One time, Bill Booth wanted a pitcher. He'd come up with a new pilot shoot for his reserve, and he wanted a pitcher of the cutaway with the riser still in the shot, and the guy under in the, on, in the canopy cut away and dump his reserve, and you see the pilot shoot in action. Right. And the only way we could do that is if I, he docked on me and I went down the lines and then he cut away, left me with all that crap. (laughs) And, but I'm sitting there taking pictures. That's what I'm worried about. So you're doing, you're intentionally doing the shit that all the AFF courses now teach people to stay the hell away from. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. I mean, one time I was in uh, Decatur, Texas. And I'd always envisioned this shot of going by an open canopy in free fall. Okay. There's just no way I could figure out how to do it because, again, we were still learning how to fly very much right. so. And I didn't feel like I was accurate enough in my free fall when I could get as close to that canopy as I wanted to to get the shot. Right. And one day I'm under canopy. We just opened up. And I looked down and there's a canopy below me in perfect position for me to cut away and go by him and get the shot. You know what I did, right? Of course. I cut away, (laughs) went by him, just was perfect. The positioning and everything. I mean, it, it it was one of those times I said, this is, this is it. Right. Open up my reserve, which was a round reserve (laughs) and uh, looked down and in the excitement, I forgot to turn my recorder on. Oh, no. <laughs> and I knew that was the only chance I'd get to do it, because once I landed the drop zone owner, Fred Elsner, he says, Mike, I won't ground you if you promise me you'll never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> and you give a man your word, you got to do it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I says, yeah, I, I didn't want to be grounded, so I gave him my word, and I, it was the only chance I had at getting that shot. I mean, I got to say it, that's a pretty good fuck up right there to intentionally chop a good main for a pretty intense reason and not have the camera on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of shuffle that underneath the, the rug. Uh, no, that's it's a, all a learning experience. And you know what I learned from that? What's that? When you start getting excited, you got to slow yourself down. Right. With breathing with mental, you know, you have to take control of your emotions. Sure. And then you do things methodically instead of erratically. Well, that's so kind I, of... I learned, go ahead, go ahead. I learned a very important lesson there, and, and it really paid off in a lot of other stuff that I did. When the pressure was on, like filming a world record, and if you don't get the picture, the record don't count. Oh, yeah, that's a little pressure. I, I put myself in a mindset where I was methodic about it. I, I lent towards my confidence in, in my past uh, performances, and and you know, took it under those uh, conditions. Sure. Sure. 
Now, were you ever, uh, um, do you ever get any uh, requests like, hey, we're going for this shot or or we want this, especially if you're jumping with with Bill Booth and Ted Strong, you had to get some yeah. requests that you're sitting on the ground going, are you kidding me? You want me to do what? <laughs> well, the docking, on, being docked on and then and having them cut away. How, uh, how, how did that them, conversation happen? I mean, how many drinks were there before he could approach you with that request? None. Bill was an imaginative, is an imaginative guy. Oh yeah, he is. And he has so much confidence. It just kind of falls off on you. And he gets so excited about these ideas that you find yourself getting excited too. For sure. Until the moment of truth, of course. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, oh, I, we so, had a good crew. For sure. And everything was planned out. Bob Nixon was the guy who was cutting away. And he went so far as to do this. We'd done this several times and never got, because I was shooting a Hasselblad that shot like um, one frame a second or something like that. Okay. Nothing like we have today. Sure. And uh, so sync wouldn't work out. The pilot shoot would be too far to go out of, would be out of frame or the pilot shoot hadn't come off the thing. Cause there's only that one shot, you know, yes. and Bob and I were looking at the photos and he says, you know, Mike, he says, you want me to cut away at 1,500 feet? That way the ground will look better? I said, sure. <laughs> you know, he had a tertiary parachute on the front, you know, which he could get out in a heartbeat. Sure. So the the, the shot that, that worked was the one where he cut away from 1,500 feet. I mean, leaving you with a big bag of shit. I I keep flashing back to the the movie Drop Zone, where in the movie, of course, they wrap each other like that's something that Scott Evers were doing all the time. But you actually yeah. were doing that. Yeah, yeah, I got wrapped really bad one time. Oh man, oh man. And what? And I'm assuming you had a whole bunch of camera equipment on as well. Sure, I had a Hasselblad, I had a Leica, and then I had a video camera. And an extra a parachute. chest recorder. And an extra parachute. Yeah. No, uh, I only had two parachutes. No, no, I mean the one that wrapped you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had an extra parachute. That's right. Now, before the podcast, we were talking about one jump that I want you to tell me in as much detail as you can about. Because I saw the pictures and I read the post you put up on Facebook and it puckered me up so bad it puckered everybody up i saw so many exclamation marks and holy shit and fuck that's on that post yeah please tell you called it the jump from hell and i want to hear all about it okay it was at your your old home cross keys yeah yeah and uh i was filming a tandem and what had happened was we had packers because we got put on a turnaround so fast (laughs) that we couldn't pack for ourselves. We had to edit. And by the time we got done editing, we, we ran to the parachute and then started doing our interview from there. Yep. I had a teardrop container and it was real a subject to um, making it a hard pull on a pin. If you didn't leave enough slack out on the top side of the bridle. Okay. Cause it would pull on the, the, the bridle tucked in underneath the, rig and it could actually you could pick the rig up that way wow so the packer i had was a girl and every time i made a suggestion on how she should what she should do for me she would get into tears so i didn't tell her about this pulling a little slack out 
I get on from a load. They meet me at the landing area with this rig. I put it on, don't think anything about, forgot all about the slack in them. And that caused me a pilot shooting toe. So I got a pilot shooting toe and I cut away, dumped my reserve. Well, about the time I cut away and, and dumped my reserve almost simultaneously, the main came out. The main caught the, uh, the left main riser caught the slider on my reserve and slowly pulled the slider up to the stops of the, the reserve yep. and then spun it up where I had like two cells open. And I'm thinking, you know, I know I'm going to die, but I'm kind of a spiritual person. And the dying wasn't what scared me. It was how much it was going to hurt when I landed. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I wondered how long I'd be alive before I got relieved of that pain. But anyhow, it, it turned out I was, I opened over the, the, clear area but somehow or another the wind took me over the trees and the wind was blowing the other direction i think this is divinely intervened there i'm i'm sure of it yeah so anyhow i went through the trees my uh stuff i had over my head caught the branches just temporarily enough to slow me down but then i i still hit the ground so hard that I couldn't even breathe. You heard the the, the sound yeah. <laughs> trying to get my breath. Oh yeah, that scared me. And then I was worried that I ruptured my aorta valve because uh, a photographer had done that. He ruptured his aorta valve, and it doesn't show. Mm. And so he kind of started acting normally, and then he ended up falling down dead. I but John Eddowes got there. He was one of the first people to the site, and. Uh, there, then the paramedics was there almost at the same time because they all saw this happen and they called in. And so they says, well, we'll take him in an ambulance. And John says, nope, you're taking him in a helicopter. You're air flighting him there. And these guys, well, we don't really. And he says, because he was worried, too, about a ruptured aorta or God knows what. Sure. I mean, everything in my body was bruised. Oh, my yeah. breath was bruised. And uh so he kind of looked at that guy and gave him a John Eddowes look. And the guy says, okay, we'll get a helicopter. <laughs> you know what look I'm talking about, too, because you know I John. I do. And so they flew me to the hospital, and that's when they found out I had a broken back. And they thought it was broke from the, the jump. And uh, they were going to put me in a body cast. And a friend of mine was a um, radiologist. Okay. And she looked at the, the, the x-rays, I think it was. And she says, that's an old break, because in a new break, there'll be little tiny microscope speckles of blood around there. Mm. And there wasn't. So I didn't have to go in a body cast. I mean, it turns out I lucked out pretty good. I, you know, it's funny because I, I probably did a, I don't know, two and a half, three thousand jumps over cross keys. And those trees, I always thought were going to be what got me killed from the rotors that would come off of those trees and the horrible air you'd sometimes get or, you know, a fuck up and you'd end up in those trees. And then I watched that video realizing instantly where it was because that's a very, yeah. I mean, you know what you're looking at if you've jumped across keys. Oh, and yeah. Of course, to see that it was the trees and a little bit of luck and a little bit of skill that saved you. And I'm like, well, I'll be damned. It was the cheese that saved him. It's not what killed him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The, the trees in this case turned out to be a lifesaver. Man, oh man. And the funny thing was, I went back out to the site where I landed. I actually got a piece of the branch in my my uh, shed right now. Because really? I just, yeah, I just, I'm, 
an Ann Arbor day for sure now. But I went out there, and where I had hit the ground, there was a bunch of uh, needles, you know, the um, from the trees. Sure. That had made a nice little cushion place for me to land. <laughs> oh, man. And within six feet all around is where they had cut off some trees, and there was uh, 10, 12-inch uh, posts sticking out of the ground. Had I landed... 10 feet over the other direction, I'd have been impaled. I really, I, I'm, I'm lucky. I mean, it, it set me with a new attitude on life. I live every day as if it's the only one. Isn't it Not funny? in fear, but in appreciation. You know, isn't it funny that even as Scott, I mean, I, I definitely earned a different respect for life and the way to live it when I became a skydiver because you have to learn to overcome a lot of fear to become a skydiver mm -hmm. and, and a lot of insecurity and all that and what other people non-jumpers would consider near-death experiences that we just consider kind of a sketchy jump um, but when you have a true near-death experience like this obviously was you really do have to step back and and you know take a good solid look at everything and you can't continue to jump unless you've come away with a new appreciation for it. I mean, you can't. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I never for a microsecond thought about not jumping again. How I mean, cool in that? fact, 30 days after I, I had the accident, I, uh, um, was able to get back in the air and jump. 30 was, days. You know, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I was, you know, pretty sore and stiff, but, I still, I needed to get back in the air. I mean, I just love to skydive. Sure. That's just no question about it. There's, sure. As you know, and any other jumper would know, there's just nothing like it. And there's not words invented yet that can describe it. There really aren't. I mean, uh, the, the closest I've ever heard people um, describe a different activity or a different sport that comes close to the way I feel about skydiving is when a surfer talks about being on the perfect wave. Uh, and mm -hmm. they're in the moment and nothing else exists. And that's what a, a skydive is, but that's every skydive. That's it for, you know, the three or four or five minutes that you're off the ground. That's the whole universe right there, which is incredible. Skydiving is high speed meditation. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I'm, when I'm climbing out on the, the photographer's step, I'm not thinking about my electric bill. I'm not thinking about what this person or that person thinks about me. Uh, you know, I'm not worried about politics. I am right there in that skydive. And, sure. and there's no place else I could be, and there's no place else I'd want to be. I mean, sure. we're very lucky. The things we're supposed to do are the things we love to do. How many people can say that? Oh, very few. Very few. Yeah. And I've never considered myself anything but ridiculously lucky that I've not only been allowed to do the things that I've done, but that somebody's actually paid me to do them. Isn't that cool? Right. I mean, yeah. the whole, the whole um, saying, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. I've worked uh -huh. my ass off in skydiving, but I loved it. It was always a work yeah. of passion, you know? So we skydivers work. We just love that work. Yeah. And passion is a good word, Ricky. Yeah. I mean, that is involved in just about every aspect of skydiving. Sure. Students are passionate about making their, their jumps and doing right and landing well, et cetera. And photographers are passionate about getting their image and, and pleasing the people you jump with. There's no doubt about it. I'm a people pleaser. Sure. And sure. one thing that makes my soul glow is when I show a picture and people are just, you, they're not just showing a compliment at you. 
they're really appreciating it and they're really enjoying it. You know, they might not even say a word, but you see the look in their eyes and they're looking at that image. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why looking back on on my time working full time as a jumper, both as a tandem instructor and a cameraman, out of all the types of jumps that I've ever done, those will always be my favorite. And those will always be the biggest memories for me because I got to give to some random guy or girl that little taste of something that we get to enjoy all the time and you watch them just forget who they were trying to be and just become this whole new person for just this little bit of a minute and you show them this whole other life and it's amazing yeah yeah it's very gratifying it really is when when you uh, uh do a tandem video for example and that person gets to relive that tandem and you know part of that jump was sensory overload yeah, you know they went through it, but you ask them what they did, and I can tell you this, and I can tell you that, but not much of it, and some of it isn't even accurate, you know. Sure. And then they get to look at their video and see themselves, and they they light up, they just oh. light up, and then they got to show it to everybody. Absolutely. Which, by the way, is great advertisement for the drop zone. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, um, one of the reasons that I took one of my good friends out uh, to a specific drop zone to do her AFF was because your video concession was there and the work that was coming out of there was just spectacular stuff. And you're like, oh, well, this is clearly where we're going. In fact, how did you end up transitioning out to to Arizona when you were in Florida? Or did you go from there to there? No, I was in Florida and um, the drop zones, there used to be Zephyr Hills drop zone. And then they also came up with uh, Skydive City because Mm. there was a disagreement between management, between some of the high caliber jumpers. And it made things kind of rocky. And that thing that we love about camaraderie in that was challenged. Sure. And that wouldn't got me out of there uh, for sure, because I loved Florida. But then I was doing a boogie circuit and I was in uh, Iowa at the couch freaks. Okay. And Mary Hill, who has been a friend of mine before that, uh, I did some projects for him when he was at Coolidge and we were sitting down at the picnic table eating a hot dog and talking about the things going on. And he started telling me, he says, well, I'm opening a new drop zone. I said, really Larry? Cause I knew enough about Larry that he was a doer mm. mover and a shaker for sure. And uh, he explained to me what he's doing. He says, what I need is somebody to set up a video booth for my tandems, because I think that's the best advertisement there is. Mm. And a light bulb came on. You know, this is a big change. And I says, Larry, I think I could do that, and I would like to do it. And he says, well, this is what I'll need. And he named off the things. And then I told him the things I needed in turn, and we shook hands on it. Hmm. This was 30-some years ago. And we've worked together for 30 years and things we couldn't comprehend, we were presented with. And that handshake is held strong all the way through. How amazing is that? Yeah, you can't do that out in the commercial life. No. You'd have to have 10 contracts written and and sealed and notarized and everything. Well, it's... It's still, skydiving is still even today a small enough community that reputation and promise means a lot. Oh, it sure does. Right. I mean, if you burn yourself in skydiving nowadays, especially with social media, man, (laughs) you're fried. There's no way you you, got to stand true to your word and you've got to try and be doing things the right way or you'll burn your reputation. And that's it. Quickly, very quickly. And, and, 
I worry about the people that get misunderstood and they get fried, but I don't worry about the people who fry themselves. Sure. You know, sure. Uh, not giving your, keeping your word, uh, being over friendly with the female students and sure. things like that. Sure. <clears throat> I mean, that's, that's getting out now. And, and uh, those kind of things is, it's great because we're becoming a self-cleaning sport. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, and, 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 and it's, it's so skydiving has gone from so fringe, hence the name of the podcast is lunatic fringe. It's gone from so fringe to so accepted by the mainstream and very much a part of mainstream. When you talk about tandems and stuff that we have to be held to a higher standard now. Oh yeah. Yeah, we absolutely do because we're working with the public mm. and we have a responsibility. They come out to make their tandem and it's likely the only parachute jump they'll ever make. Sure. And it's up to us to give them every opportunity to enjoy that jump. You know, some of my video people get a little bored with what they're doing and they want to get a little on the wild side. And I tell them, I says, it's getting boring to you and that's good, but it is not boring to that tandem passenger. Right. He, for the first time in his life has just exited an airplane <laughs> and he don't need nobody coming up and, and slapping him on the hand or, or flying upside down or putting his feet in his hands. Yeah. What he needs is documentary of that experience that he had. For sure. And, and, and nothing to take away from that. I guess I was one of the very lucky ones that, because uh, I shot, uh, I don't know, maybe 3,000 tandem videos, and then I took about 8,000 tandems, but I never got you need bored a of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm done throwing drugs, man. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's the last of my drogue days are gone. I just had a big surgery to fix my neck. Cause my neck isn't made out of titanium. <laughs> oh, wow. No yeah. neck like bull, huh? No neck like bull for me. No, but I was lucky when I was doing it all because I never got bored. I just fed off the energy of those tandem students. And I had so much fun trying to play junior psychiatrist or psychologist, I should say, and figure mm -hmm. out what's going to work to make this student the most comfortable to have a great experience. And it was always a fun puzzle. And I just, so I, I'm lucky. I never got bored. You described a professional to me is what you just described. And that's what my video people are professionals. Nice. And, and their job is, is to make that person look as good as possible. Sure. And, they, and in, in conjunction, it has to be filmed right. You know, sure. you've got to keep, you have composition and you've got to play your lighting and, and you're right. The video guy has to be somewhat of a psychologist, too. What do you say to him during their interview that's going to get this guy psyched up? Sure. You know, you can say something to one guy and it'll make him get scared. And you can say it to somebody else and it'll really get him pumped. Sure. You know, well, and so then the. The video guy, especially being the one that's in their face, um, that's the face of that skydive for them. If they're going to lock on to another human being during free fall, it's going to be that guy shooting the video. And like you said before, a lot of the time it's just overload. I don't know how many times I've had tandem students ask me, where were you on the jump? And you smile. Oh, my. Yeah. You blew me kisses. So I must have <laughs> been I must have been there somewhere. Uh, but it was always fun to to see that. And then, of course, you see the recognition come back in that that mm -hmm. fear and that, oh, my God, what's going on? And then it's the oh, my God, this is incredible. And that was always so much fun. That wasn't uncommon for the uh, for a passenger to say, where was the video guy? at? Where was the video guy? at?" You know, yeah. 
And he was right there, like you said, in their face. Yep. And yep. filming that. So now you took your a lifelong career and your passion for skydiving and besides just shooting the videos and, and doing the rigging and all this other stuff, you decided you wanted to serve the community itself. So you ran and started working with the USPA. That's correct. You know, I, I can't jump anymore because of my back and my, I have a replaced ankle <clears throat> and uh, skydiving has given so much to me. Sure. So sure. much. It took me from being a drunk, dope addict, alcoholic, and, and gave me a chance to sober up and, and find my, my, my place. Sure. And so I owe so much to the skydivers. And, and not only that, I love them. Sure. You know, they're, they're my buddies. They're my family. They're my uh, bosses. They're my uh, uh, subject matter. And, uh, the one way I thought I could serve the community best was being a national director. Nice. <clears throat> and it's turned out to be at first, uh, it was a love hate thing because sure. politics, it can be tough. It can be really tough. And then Larry Bagley, who's not with us anymore, but is a great, was a great friend is a great friend. I asked him because he was very good at being a board member and, and getting things done and, and serving the membership. And I said, Larry, what can I do so I can get this figured out? He says, vote with your conscience. Mm. And I followed that, that uh, advice, and it has yet to fail me. For sure. I didn't always win the things that I, I put before the board. But I knew that my, my motives and my agendas we're in the right place. Well, and that's one of the great things that I've seen about you and about a lot of the other board members and about a lot of skydivers is they're never, in my opinion, doing things maliciously. They're doing something because they believe in it. Uh, they're never yeah. trying to mislead. They believe that what they've got is the right way to do things. But the great ones also can see, oh, no, that wasn't the way to go. Or they can help someone else see a different path. And that's one of the reasons that you get somebody like you on the board of directors with a wealth of experience, not just in flying belly or free flying, but the whole thing, you know, the whole experience of skydiving. And you get to bring a whole lot of weight to bear on what works, what doesn't work, which direction should we be going, you know? So I'd imagine that first year, this first year on the board must have been a bit of a battle, but you had to know you brought a lot to the table. I tried. I tried. You know, I, I still have low self-esteem hmm. well. and uh, I always find myself falling up short, I think. What I would say now about the board is as close to perfect as it can be because mm -hmm. it has a, a nucleus of people with experience like myself, I hope. And then we have the younger jumpers that are coming up there with the new ideas and, and some of them fantastic ideas. Sure. Some of them need to be reined in a little bit because sure. see, safety is so important. That's one of my main things. Nothing outranks safety. Sure. That's all there is to it. And you have to, you have to see things further ahead than just that particular thing. Sure. And so we, we've got a, a, a great board. We have the young, we have the medium and we have the, the sage sure. sort of people. And uh, I'm really enjoying working on this board now. Well, so now you're in the middle of running for the next seat, aren't you? I am. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do one more, one more tour of duty. Awesome. That'll give me nine years of service. 
and I, I can say to myself, I've done a good, I've done my job. I've really put my effort forward. Well, I and mean, I'm gonna... as far as for leaving your footprint and legacy on the sport, I mean, I don't, I really don't know how much more you can um, make an impression between 50, how many 50 something covers? How 56, many? I think. 56 covers on Parachutist Magazine. God knows how many centerfolds and photographs just in general. All the record stuff, the probably hundreds of thousands of tandems that you've been involved with um, through the different ways that you're running video concessions. And now working the board, I mean, man, it's the legacy that you've got going is incredible. Not to mention, I, every time I pull up Facebook, I'm seeing another half a dozen badass landing shots because you're still there on the landing area with the shutter going. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I still love to film my buddies. That's fantastic. There's no question about that. I mean, and I get a lot of good feedback on Facebook where people like it. So I know it's something I want to do. Absolutely. Because I'm, like again, people pleasing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, to be able to, you're seeing it for, through a skydiver's eyes and you're seeing what, you know, could be, it's, oh, it's just another parachute landing. No, no, no. You're not zooming in on, or you're not zoomed out on a, a badass swoop. I see expressions. I see faces. I see concentration. I see joy on the jumpers that you're taking pictures of landing, which is a really unique way of seeing the sport kind of fresh again, you know? Mm -hmm. It really Yeah, is. that's. I, I'm big on people pictures, big sure. on people, because after all, it's people that are skydiving, not formations, yeah. not tandems, but it's people in that environment that we're filming. Sure. And I love to get their expressions. 99% of the time, it's the static joy. Yes, Every absolutely. once in a while, you get the big eyed look, but 99% uh, of the time, it's a static joy. And then I, I want people to see skydiving that way. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's it's through the efforts of uh, jumpers and photographers like you and uh, guys before you and the guys coming up that keep that going and have made it such a, a widely accepted sport, even with those that don't jump. I mean, the reason that there are so many, you know, millions of tandems done every year is because guys like you put it out there for people to see what it's really about. And I mean, for that and for that legacy, guys like me have nothing but thanks to people like you. Yeah, thank you for saying that. That was very nice. Yeah, man. Um, it turns out to be a, a part of the job. And, and that's just was one of the motives for the job. Sure. Is to bring that sport to our fellow jumpers and also to the, the unknowing people out there. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Now, as, uh, uh, as we wrap things up, I want people to find out how they can see the pictures that we're talking about. If they don't already follow you, how do they find Mike McGowan on social media and more importantly, how and when are they going to vote to keep you on the board for this last year? Okay. Facebook is where I post my pictures. Okay. And it's Mike McGowan, the only one from Eloy, Arizona. Cool. So when you're looking for it, I can't take on any more friends. It got me limited to 5,000 and I'm <laughs> loaded already. And I feel bad. People send friend requests and I think they think I'm being a jerk by not accepting them. Sure. But I'm, it's the boat is full. I, I, must I can't have, put them on there. I must have made it in just under the wire. <laughs> like I'm probably 4,982. <laughs> There's yeah. So, but, and then to vote, uh, USPA will be sending out, uh, emails to every member and there'll be a link for them to go vote. And I would certainly, gosh, I would appreciate their vote. 
Absolutely. Well, I mean, for everybody that's listening, it's important that you vote no matter what, but you're listening yep. to somebody that's bringing more years and more combined experience in the sport than you can possibly imagine. If you're going to toss a vote, I mean, Mr. Mike McGowan is definitely a great way to do it. He's going to represent. So when it's voting time, get out no matter what and vote, but I'd say toss a vote to Mike. Well, thank you. And that's true. I mean, if you vote for me, God bless you. But if you vote and you don't vote for me, God bless you too. Yeah. Just vote, man. Yeah. Good leadership and and uh, um, especially with a sport that's changing and evolving as much as skydiving is, it's important to get your voice heard. It's quick, yeah. Mike, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I'm gonna I'm gonna have you back on. I have to have it back on because I know I've barely scratched the surface with some of the stories that you must have, and I'm gonna want to pull them out of you. There's stories to be told. Please, please. We're doing this again. I'm not going to take no okay. for an answer. <laughs> I won't give you a no. I enjoyed myself. Perfect, Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care, brother. Okay, bye-bye. All right, there you go. Another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void in the Can brought to you as always by Fuck Yeah NZ Aerosports. Brought to you by Pussfoot.com, the Extreme Sports Collective. Summit Parachute Systems, Jarrett Martin, the family, kick-ass pilot rigs, badass rigging courses, Summit Parachute Systems. Also in association with Dirty Habits and me, the fucking pilot, You can find me at thefuckingpilot.net or theprincesspilot.com. They all take you to the same place. You get all the podcasts and the books. See you next time. Get out!